This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period. The story of the Capuchin Friars of Church Street is an intriguing one. Drawn into the action by way of their location at the heart of the fighting during Easter week, the Capuchin Friars jumped headfirst into the action. Fathers Aloysius, Augustine and Albert each had a remarkable role to play in the events that began on Easter Monday. The Friary today maintains an incredible archive, with artefacts of the Capuchin's 400-year history in Ireland. What makes it stand out, however, is the records they hold of the Easter Rising and subsequent period. I visited the Friary in Smithfield to find out more. Brian Kirby, the provincial archivist, showed me around. I straight away found myself staring down the barrel of a gun. This is the uh, this is a pistol that was found by Father Columbus Murphy, um, a Capuchin friar from Church Street, who was involved in the 1916 Rising, and it signed Father Columbus. So we can actually authenticate it as an actual item that was used by the volunteers on North King Street. It's an American-made um, pistol. Now I'm not a huge expert on firearms at all, but um, it's called appropriately enough savage quality pistol so um, what we can make out at least anyway it was constructed in 1909 so what you get to really sense is that it's a pistol used by the volunteers and left behind them on North King Street and Father Columbus retrieved it and for some reason kept it in the friary. Actually one of the friars um, we have is actually a former chaplain in the military and so he had a look at it and made sure and assured me that it has been thoroughly disarmed and it's not no longer in working order. Um, our next artefact then is uh, quite interesting as well. It's held in a cigar box and the letter authenticating its provenance is in the folder there. But apparently you're led to believe that this is actually part of the GPO, um, or at least rubble found in the GPO. Um, you can see there's actually bullets, um, cartridges, masonry, metal sort of fused into it. So it's kind of like fused in the furnace of the rebellion as it were. Um, so this was actually taken from the ruined shell of the GPO and given to Father Aloysius. I also spoke to Father Brian Shortall, who, as the parish priest and guardian of the Church Street Friary, is the successor of Father Aloysius, who we covered in a podcast earlier this week. He's a very busy man, and I managed to speak to him on the lunch break for the monthly provincial council meeting. You, know, you can't miss it. You'll see a picture of Padraig Pio in the window. The alb would be right size. The alb would be a bit too big for me, so it would be the right size for you. That's great. Sorry about that, lads. That's okay. All these, you know, when, you're, when you have two or three things kind of that you do normally, and the provincial council meeting comes along, and everything has to be covered, you know. Now, one, two, one, two, one, two. I suppose there's three main points there. Uh, the first point is that they had no idea uh, that there was any kind of inkling of a rising. You know, in the short years before it, they were very close to the poor people, and especially the poorer people. It was a tenement area, some of the worst slums in, 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 in Europe, in fact. Directly across the road is the site of the Church Street tenement disaster, uh, which happened in September 1913. This whole area was a slum, essentially. And that's probably why the Franciscans or the Capuchins were here, because there were so many poor people. Their apostolate was most of the poor, so they always located in places where there is a certain amount of poverty. And there's certainly around here in Smithfield, the Church Street, North King Street area, there was a huge amount of poverty, tenement buildings. And the collapse really sort of exemplified that. Seven people were killed, three children, and the Capuchins again were the first on the scene. You can see how the Friars would have been aware of the hardship in the local community, and how they were so willing to do anything they could to help. Yeah, I think there's a sense that the Capuchins were probably closer to the people 
than some of the diocesan priests probably were. And, yeah. and certainly they sort of responded in that way as well, that they had a sense of what was going on on the ground in terms of, you know, people's support for housing, better housing, the support for independence, I suppose, as well. So Against this backdrop, the Irish volunteer movement grew and the events of Easter week unfolded. Early on Easter, Monday morning, the, the, the day dawned bright and fair. And by lunchtime, by dinner time, they were thrown into this huge state of confusion, this huge state of fear and panic, literally on the doorstep of the friary. And not only did it happen on the doorstep, but as the, the days went on, and in the lead into the British uh, reinforcements arriving, they would have been on the ground with the people, ministering to the suffering, doing what they could as professional ministers, as professional priests. And as I've said on, on a few occasions when I've been asked this question, they were proud Irishmen, make no mistake, but they were very proud churchmen as Capuchins too. So uh, the priority for them would have been their sacramental uh, services that they could offer, their pastoral care services they could offer to anybody who needed it. They didn't ask questions. So um, literally all over the city uh, during that week, it was it was confusing, frightening, um, very noisy, very loud, and very chaotic time. Looking out the window, I could see Father Matthew Hall next door. So in 1916, the hall was used as a field hospital by the volunteers. Edward Daly, his men occupied the hall, essentially, and uh, set up a medical centre for wounded volunteers, wounded soldiers as well, wounded civilians. And on the first day of the Rising, um, Easter Monday, and um, when the first child casualties arriving, rising Sean Foster, who was killed literally just outside the, the church on Church Street, um, was brought into this Father Matthew Hall. And I think he was aged two years old, he was shot in a pram, I think. And when the friars, Father Albert Bibby, bought the child um, from the Father Matthew Hall to Richmond Hospital, um, just at the end of Easter Monday. You see, the clergy in 1916, the clergy in those days was sort of the third and fourth emergency service. Now, you know, it, it would be fair to say, and a historian would probably explain this to you, you know, uh, more comprehensively than I ever could, but it would be fair to say that there were clergy who were either silent or even cynical towards the leaders of, of, of the Rising. Uh, for the Capuchins, I don't particularly feel, certainly the Capuchins in Church Street, I don't particularly feel they were too worried about what uh, side the leaders fell on because it seemed to me that it was an ambulance service they were providing, if I could use that image. So, you know, there definitely uh, wouldn't have been, in my opinion, um, for me, any direct evidence of the friars saying, well, I'm for an Irish Republic or I'm for the status quo. Because, you know, it is historical, in historic fact as well, that in Church Street, for example, there were friars that did go to serve with the forces uh, in Europe during the Great War, as well as friars that, that stayed here and, and, and ministered to people that literally needed their help. The Capuchin spirit of going above and beyond the call of duty to provide for people that needed their help continues in Church Street to this day. In the adjoining building on Bow Lane, Brother Kevin Crowley runs the Capuchin Day Centre. Well, in 1969, we started the Day Centre for the purpose of helping people who left the hostels in the morning time. And we left, when we opened it in 69, we had about 50, 50 people coming to the centre. And now, in 2016, each morning, we'd have about 250 to 300 
for breakfast and then in the afternoon we'd have anything from 500 maybe 600 for for dinner and then on a Wednesday we give out food parcels and up to the time of the recession we had about 400 people coming for food parcels but now again in 2016 each Wednesday morning we have about 1700 and it's just not homeless people it's people who are on the verge of losing their homes and people who have lost their jobs and I, I suppose uh, going back if you like to um, 1916 we had uh, children, homeless children and poor families as far as I'm concerned nothing has changed in 100 years things are bad if not equally worse because um, so many people especially so many children uh, on, on having no accommodation not having, not having proper accommodation even though they're being promised so much but nothing is happening and we had children um, homeless in 1916 but again we have them here in 2016 so I suppose um, th- th- that's one of the things that really saddens me the thing that, that that children have to leave here in the afternoon and go to a hotel and the only food they have is what we give them leaving here again it's I suppose it's what St Francis would want us to do and I'm sure if St Francis was alive today he would be in our midst here It strikes me that this is the work that fathers Aloysius, Augustine and Albert would have been doing had they been alive today too They gave help to all who needed it wherever they found themselves Having ministered to the wounded of all sides during the week in the adjoining Father Matthew Hall, at the end of the week, they helped defuse the tense situation as they facilitated surrender talks between the volunteer leaders and the British Army. The rising over, their job wasn't yet finished as they ministered to the rising leaders before their execution and, in many cases, were the last people to speak to them. This is a letter which was, or a note that was delivered to the Capuchin Friars on the 2nd of May 1916. Um, it's a note from the Dublin Military Police from military headquarters in Parkgate Street and it simply reads please tell the Franciscan fathers as the Capuchins of Church Street that the two men they wish to see at Kilmain detention prison should be seen by them tonight what's really significant about it is the date the 2nd of May 1916 it's the night before um, Padraig Pierce, Thomas McDonough and Thomas Clark were executed so it's probably the first indication that the priests will be required to minister to these rebels before their execution. The Capuchins have left their mark on the story of the Easter Rising, not only in the official records of the events, but in their own collections. I suppose what marks this collection, apart from other collections held by religious in Ireland, is, I suppose, the attachment that the friars had to the national struggle from 1916 until 1922. So we have records relating to not just the rising in the ministry performed by the Capuchins in 1916, but also during the War of Independence and ultimately the Civil War. And one of the friars involved in 1916, Father Albert Bibby, was subsequently involved in ministering to Republicans on the anti-treaty side in the four courts at the very start of the Civil War in 1922. So I suppose the collection is very important from a national perspective, from the, the decade of centenaries, and we have a lot of collections relating to the national struggle. I asked Brian, the provincial archivist, and Father Brian what it meant to them to be working in the friary today. So that's good. And it's a sense of history, I suppose. Um, when you think that, you know, the, the altar I showed you um, was probably touched by William Podrick and William Pierce because it was built, you know, the late 19th century, early 1900s. 
Um, at a time when Podrick and Willie were intimately involved with his fa- their father in working on architectural projects and ecclesiastical artwork. So the altar was actually more than likely worked upon by Podrick and William Pierce in that period as well. So there's that real sense of history that you're dealing with, so you can actually touch, physically touch um, a part of Irish history. Um, and also the archival collection is, is really outstanding from that period of 1916, and we have documents that other archives simply don't have. And uh, I think every day you're coming in and you really get the feeling that you're sensing that you're kind of touching a piece of history. I think that's what makes the job so interesting. I am parish priest currently at the moment, so I love the fact that, you know, I'm in the middle of, the, the, you know, the parish, middle of the the, 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 the families that are around here. Um, I, I, I don't want them to be kind of dropping to their knees or, or because I'm Father Brian or because I'm Brother Brian or because I'm the, the parish priest. That doesn't really wash with people anyway. Um, because if I was if I was standing on ceremony, they'd soon tell me that you're standing on ceremony and they'd, they'd soon bring you down to size a bit. You know, that's the kind of beauty of their honesty. They are profoundly honest people. That honesty is what the Friars of 1916 saw in the local community and must have been part of what drove them to act so courageously on their behalf. Whether it was caring for the massive amounts of wounded or grieving victims of the Rising, attempting to resolve an increasingly violent and desperate situation, ministering to the rising leaders before their execution, or simply providing food and shelter to those who need it most. The Capuchins have always had the best interests of their flock in mind, and that's why they're still there. Listen out for the third part of our special on the Capuchins of Church Street this Friday the 29th of April, when we look at Father Augustine's story. Many thanks to Brian Kirby, Father Brian Shortall and Brother Kevin Crowley for their time. I'm Owen Cody. Thanks for listening.